Hello and welcome back to a PhD in me. Today is the first of our interview podcasts and I recorded this conversation a few days ago with a friend of mine, a wonderful lady in the United States of America by the name of Meredith Kanan. I won't do any more by way of an introduction as the episode does that for you. So I hope you enjoy our chat and sit back and listen to the conversation between Chris and Meredith. So hello world, welcome back to a PhD in me. This is our little playground and in this little playground, the toys that we play with are our thoughts, our feelings and our words. So welcome to, to our little play world. And today I've got a really, really special guest a good friend of mine who I've come to really treasure in my life, um, Meredith Kanan. Hello, Meredith. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And I, I love that this is about play. Play is so much one of my um, essences as a playful person. And it's something that I value more than anything is that, that life should be fun. So, you know, it's so perfect. So thanks. That's what I've come to treasure about you because you've always got this playful energy. And just to give you all a bit of a background, Meredith has been helping me and mentoring me on my journey to get this book and this um, website finished and launched. And her team is helping me to, to finish all the work on the website. So that's how I got to know Meredith in the first place. And I just, her energy was something I wanted to share with all of you. So here we oh, are. Thank you. So Meredith, tell us about your life and your life view and about your PhD <laughs> journey. Well, it's interesting because I really do have to remind myself that every part of who we are and the processes that we go through really do give us that PhD. And when we, when we really understand who we are and how we are designed, right? I believe in divine design. And I have to stop resisting my divine design. Yes. And I think a lot of the journey and a lot of the lessons as you go through life are those points that hit you and are like, boom, by the way, you're not living your divine design. And for those of us that are lifelong learners, um, that's where we lean in. How did I mess this stuff up? So um, I've always been, you know, just... In terms of my PhD, I'll try not to take up the entire time with my story, <laughs> but I've always been a storyteller. I yes. started out as a young kid as an actress, and I started at a really young age. I performed at Disneyland, I'm sorry, Disney World. I performed in front of audiences of, of 1,800 people by the time I was eight. Wow. And I always just felt at home. And as a young person, I thought it was because I got to play and be somebody else. And as I started to get my PhD in me and really dig deep in what was there, it was about the theater community being a community of people who really let your true color shine. They accept you for who you are. Most people in the theater world are often the kind of outside of the box thinkers and the ones who do different things. And so I was really blessed. I got to go to a performing arts high school. I got to get a gifted education and a performing arts education. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I knew entertainment was where I was going to be. And then I really got stuck in not loving life. I was also in a relationship and my, um, 
I got married and I all of a sudden felt like I was Pigpen from Charlie Brown, right? Just covered in this dark, just dust cloud. Yes. And it, just like the picture behind you, I felt like there was these lights, this beam of light that had to get out in the world, but it was just surrounded by a dust cloud of ickiness. And so a lot of that was the relationship that I was in and I was married to an alcoholic. And so there was a lot of pain and a lot of self-discovery in that one. And as I, as I started moving through it, I found personal development work and started finding out, oh my goodness, I'm a really good coach. And I did the personal development work to get my, my film career. I executive produced feature films. Um, Katrina hit New Orleans as we were filming my first executive producing film. I was like, really? <laughs> so like you said, right, those things that aren't what you're meant to be on the path, sometimes those hiccups or roadblocks happen as you, as you try to find yourself. And so through all the work that I did in personal development, I found out I was a really amazing coach. And then I started coaching. And then I started working with a mentor of mine and I started leading on the stages that, you know, of his programs. And I remembered who I was, that the reason I wanted to be on a stage was that I wanted to share my light. Yes. That that yeah. was the gift that I had to give and being stuck in that peg pen gray world was so painful. And that the light is when we really land into our true essences of who we really are. And we own all of those things, all of those things that make us out of the box. I'm ADHD and dyslexic. And now I own it really loud and proud because it is what makes me quirky and different. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's so wonderfully inspiring. I can, I can feel and sense so many people resonating with what, with what you're sharing. There's a few words that, and I know I, promised to send you the book and I haven't sent it yet. So you haven't even read it, but all the things that you're saying just are exactly what the message in the book is. You know, those two words, allow or resist. Um, mm. If we allow what wants to come forth, it just starts to come forth. But we, most of us were taught to just resist what it is that's inside of us and who we really are. And that's where so much of the, the pain and the stuckness comes from. Um, so yes, I, um, I totally, and, totally resonate. Yeah, I think that's why we're so aligned in what we, what we want to bring to the world. It's why I so connect with who you are and the PhD in me. I think we also know that we believe in these kind of universal cycles and energies. And, and I think what you're talking about is, again, why I felt so home in theater was because I had access to full self-expression. Yes. And when I got back on a stage as a coach and as a leader, who I'm inspiring is full self-expression. Yes. Because so often we get um, socialized or trained to not be that. That's the resistance, is that the world resists against us being loud and crazy and goofy and all of the things that we want to be. And you're like, what do you mean the point of life isn't to play? Is education? are you sure? Right. It's to have a job and be proper. Are you sure? Right. All of that resistance is the place where you're not living that design, that divine design created exactly to live out loud. And the world, you know, I remember, I don't know how many times I heard people talking about 
being serious and mature and like an adult <laughs> and being like a child. And I said, bloody hell, I want to be like a child. That's They're the people who really love and enjoy life. There's that, that child is still inside all of us, you know, bugger being serious and, and mature and whatever else. So, yeah. And you said something else that um, rings so true and you, you were talking about storytelling. Um, I believe and understand that our whole experience of life is simply a story and that's what we do. I remember I heard a conversation with a, an Aboriginal elder, um, an Australian Indigenous lady who was asked what she understood was the difference between us humans and all the animal animals. And, and the Indigenous people have this wonderful connection to the land and to the planet and to nature and to the animals. And she said, she answered the question by saying, we can tell stories about all their mothers. And that's kind of it. That's what our life is. And if we feel too scared to tell our story, you know, we each have a message. We each have a story. We each have a light that wants to shine and we just need to allow it to emerge, to come forth. So. It, it, and it's so true. I, so I went to Australia right before I married my ex-husband. And I have to tell you, he was one of the reasons I went back. I was so close to moving to Australia. I fell in love. I felt the connection. Just all, so much of it was there. And I bought my first ever piece of art. Yes. And so I have, it's an indigenous painting and it has the, the story of the Brolga bird. Yep. And then it has these little Mimi spirits, I think is what they are called. And then these little hands. And to me, it was the dance of the Brolga bird. And I am meant to dance. I am meant to sing. I am meant to leave that light. And I have that spiritual connection inside me. And I still, I, it's up on the wall in my, in my bedroom. And it is this piece that reminds me to have that free spirit. I see those Mimi spirits dancing next to the Brolga bird and dancing in this way to connect. And it is so much about, and I didn't know then, what I know now, like it has so much more meaning 20 years later, yeah. why it's still sitting there because it really is. It's about that connection to spirit and having it be sung, having it. I, I often will sing in the middle of my coaching, even on my Facebook lives, even in my webinars, everything I do. And, Oh, I'm not a very well-trained singer. <laughs> so sometimes it comes off key this morning. It was a little off key. But still, it's that love of expression, that playfulness that makes life worth it. Well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. And since it's only the two of us and nobody else here, nobody else will. <laughs> um, in me being prepared and preparing myself for going out there and sharing this message and this story, um, there were a few things that I needed to do. Um, I mean, I spent four years being on Zoom calls multiple times a week and I became comfortable with seeing my image on video and, and, and recorded because I wasn't comfortable with that. And then the other thing I had to become comfortable with was hearing my voice. So the first thing that was really, really valuable was going into a studio and recording the audio book. And I loved the exercise. And when I listened back to it, I really, really enjoy listening to it so that was hugely valuable but then there was something else that my essence led me to do um 
when I was in my teens and early 20s, I used to, um, I mean, I've always played guitar, but I used to play in a, a small folk group and we used to um, play at weddings and whatever else, but never did any, any singing sort of on my own and, and solo and whatever. And earlier this year, while I was in lockdown, I got the urge to start recording some songs of me singing some songs. And I did them here at my desk in garage band and <laughs> some of them I did acoustically with my guitars, others I did over the top. And I've done about my album so far is got 45 songs on it. And the fascinating Ooh. thing is I love listening to it. It's actually my favorite playlist now. Nice. And you. But, but <laughs> it's so important in terms of, venturing into this podcast and whatever will come from this whole PhD and me journey is that I became comfortable with my own image and my own voice and knowing that I have a voice and I'm meant to share it. So for wh whoever benefits from that story, um, it was really, really valuable. You know, I love that story because I think that a lot of us, especially when we see ourselves on camera for the first time, and when we're trying to get our messages out there, we're like, oh my goodness, I remember, because I, I know that I have a higher pitched voice. I know I sound young. I did years and years of acting training and vocal training for speaking and lines. And I know that from speeches, I say like quite a bit and, or, you know, and I know all of those are the things I'm not supposed to do. And yet... If I put too much attention on what's not right, instead of speaking from that heart and letting that expression come out in a way that's authentically me, so maybe I say, you know, you're right? Like yeah. what? I mean, I'm clearly been in California. I sound like an 80s California girl for a while. So I get it. But what I really love about what you're saying is it's the taking ownership of our gifts and finding the way to really love them. That, that journey into self-love of how we look, whether it's on camera, how we sound, doing the things that help us feel the most highest love version of ourselves, that's the PhD in me. Yes. That's what we're going for. That's what it's all about so that we really feel the most authentic selves loud and proud. Yeah, you do sound young, but you're only 25, aren't you? Right. I love it. I remember my daughter was super excited and she was telling everybody that I was 24. And I was like, that's really good, baby, but I'm 42. You got the numbers backwards. <laughs> so, And that was many years ago. So, yes, I am 46. Yes, yeah. that's how old I am. <laughs> so, but both my husband and I do. We look really, really young. And I think it's because of that playfulness. It's because of that love of life. Because my, my daughter, I'm an old mom. My daughter is nine and my boy is six. Yeah. And so I'm a full 40 years older than my son. Whereas yeah. my dad was 30 years older than me. And that was a big age gap. But my mom, my kids said last night, you know, the thing that makes you the best mom is that you're so willing to play with us. And you're silly. And you're, you know, it's that playfulness that has them relate to me at this young age. <laughs> And it's the playful energy that brings about the playful exterior, the young-looking exterior and whatever else. The, the internal energy is so linked to the external energy. So, yes, I agree. And, and I'm just going back to something else that you raised, that 
has become so, um, what's the word? So important in my awareness and of my observation of the journey that I'm on. And you said the word taking ownership. Um, mm. It's so, so critical because something that I used to observe in me that I see in so many other people is this idea that we're somehow victims of life or victims of circumstance or victims of things that happen to us. And ultimately, we just need to own this life. We're not a victim of anything. And once I grasped that, my whole experience of life changed. My whole love of life changed and and i got this understanding that you know whether i feel a victim or whether i feel that i own my life is just the thoughts that i'm having at that moment and it's just the beliefs that are driving those thoughts but until i learn to love my thoughts i can't love my life i can't love the world because the world that i experience is created by the thoughts i'm having about it and if i think it's a shitty place. And if I think it's unfair and mm -hmm. I think stuff's happening to me, they're not pleasant thoughts. And so it, I can't love this life and I can't love myself while I'm having those kind of thoughts. And that's again, what the whole PhD in me journey is about. It's such a powerful, powerful concept. And it's such a powerful place to look. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates people on that lifelong learning path, people with that growth mindset. Um, it's so interesting because they're teaching growth mindset to my daughter at nine. And I'm like, this is awesome. I don't think they taught us this stuff when I was in school. And, and for me, that, that lightning bulb point of understanding the victim of the situation was when I, whew, when I went through my divorce with my ex-husband and I was learning, I, he was an alcoholic and I went to Al-Anon and they started talking about the cycle of the victim. And I was like, I'm a powerful woman. How did I end up in this situation? Yes. I knew myself to be powerful and, and that was it. It was taking the choice to go, okay, where am I responsible for A, being inside this relationship that stinks, right? That hurts. And how do I change it? How yes. do I make the change that is effective? And I think it was in those moments inside of all of that that really shifted who i am in life that yeah. was the big aha was when i said no i'm not attached i finally realized that i was attached to having a happy life and i wasn't attached to it being with him yeah yeah and that and i wanted him to be happy too like that's where my stand was i put the stake in the ground and i was like and i don't think we're happy with each other and i'm not sure that we're going to be happy with each other yeah and you know, all of that denial just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh, now I understand what they mean by waking up from it. Yes. And really seeing that difference. And that was the path. And that was when I started really diving deeply into personal development and really understanding. I love the idea, like, just like you're saying that, that my thoughts control my reality. It's why I have a magic wand. And I show it loud and proud. My husband, my current husband, hand carved it from me from the house outside of my childhood house in New Orleans. It's made out of New Orleans oak. How cool. And because it's the idea that I can speak something into reality. That's yes. how I believe magic exists. I believe that's that divine connection. When you're in alignment with somebody, when you're in alignment with yourself, 
and your thoughts are in alignment with who you're meant to be inside this divine conversation, and you say, I'm creating this, poof, and it shows up because your thoughts and then your words create the reality in which you exist, but only when you're in that alignment, in the integrity of who you're meant to be inside that natural divine design, which is why the PhD is such an important thing to, to really check out and experience and live and embody, right? It's such a, it's such a full way of knowing and learning about yourself. Absolutely. And do you know what just came up for me again, as I was listening to you share that so I I felt it so powerfully is that everything that you just said so resonated. There was not a thing you said that was new And yet it felt totally new because I had not heard it from you before. And there are so many people out there who feel the impulse to share what you and I are sharing. And the key is that there are some people out there who need to hear it the way that Meredith brings it forth and expresses it. And there are other people who need to hear it the way Chris shares it and expresses. And the same goes with the other, with everybody else. And so, It just falls on us to stop being shrinking violets and to just allow that light to shine because there are some people who will touch our life who need to hear it the way we express it. And if we don't, they miss out. They miss out on what it is that we came here to share and to bring forth. So the way that you just said it, exactly the same as my message, and yet it's so different because it's uniquely you and uniquely your energy. And it comes through the filter of my experience in my life, which automatically gives us that uniqueness. The different ways that our true colors shine is through those unique experiences, which is why it's so amazing to have it come in different waves. And I think the other thing is, is also the layers of the onions of understanding, right? I know that I'll have said something to a client and they won't hear it the first time I said it, but I'll yes. say it's slightly different the third time or the eighth time, or they'll hear it while well, I'm telling somebody else it. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And you're like, yes. yes. Or, or it just takes it to the next level. They heard it for where they were ready to hear it from the first time. And then somebody else said it and it went into a deeper level of understanding, yep. being and knowing. And then it's so every person they say it, it has a different flavor. Maybe it's a different part of the onion or it's a different energy field at which it's touching. Maybe it's touching your base energy at this point. And earlier you were talking about your heart energy or something like that. So it really is such a beautiful gift. I think that's why the learners and the seekers have multiple mentors, have multiple people that they listen to so that things can filter into a full body experience and knowing. Yes, hundred percent. And, and in fact, I've come to believe so totally and completely that every person who touches my life has something of value for me to learn if I'm open to hearing it. And Mm. the thing that brought that into my conscious awareness, my youngest daughter, um, she's a lot younger than all my other children. And my older children got all the loving and caring and nurturing I was able to give them. But I was still a different person at that stage. And by the time Olivia came along, I was a lot further down this journey of conscious awakening and this whole Mm -hmm. PhD in me journey. And so 
this young child from, you know, the age of two or earlier, I watched as she started to express herself and she started to express her love of life. And she would just laugh and sing and giggle and, and do whatever she energetically <laughs> felt like she wanted to do. She sang songs, not that she had learned, but she just made it up as it came out. The, the, the melody and the words, she just sang whatever came forth. And she didn't care if anybody liked it or she didn't, whether people thought it was good enough. And um, everybody was, was a friend. Everybody was somebody to say hello to and whatever else. And I went, wow, this is how we actually arrive in this life. We just arrive as pure love when we just want to experience and express whatever is inside of us. And then the world gets hold of us and teaches us the power of no and teaches us all of those learned beliefs. And, um, and so her mum and I made a decision very early on that we didn't want to teach her anything. The world would teach her enough stuff as it is. Right. We just wanted to her... We wanted to allow her to express herself. And now as a 13-year-old, she's probably emotionally the most, the most mature 13-year-old I've ever met and more than many, many 40 and 50 and 60-year-olds I know because she just wasn't told that she couldn't express herself or that it wasn't right or that it wasn't good enough or that she needed it to do it this way. And I thought, wow. This is, this is a gift I want to share with the world is just stop making and, and, people and, conform. And I think it's so important because I have some, I think your girl and my girl could be besties because mine's nine and a half and it's very similar yeah. in how you describe her. And I think some of that is because they're being raised by people who are on this discovery that have this understanding of the way the world works. I brought my girl onto a Facebook Live last Friday trying to talk about how certain parts of life we start compartmentalizing different parts of ourselves. And she's like, no, I'm free to be the same me. I'm big, loud, and proud everywhere I go. She's uh -huh. like, I'm like, Girl Scouts in school? She's like, yep, everywhere. And I was like, okay. I wasn't like that as a kid. But she's like, oh, it's because you helped me. And I was like, okay, great. Well, maybe I'm doing something right. <laughs> but I do. I think, I think what you're describing really is it's that awakened idea of looking at life and really understanding that our full self-expression comes from yeah. allowing, right? Allowing and receiving. And so many of us try to go, okay, well, I have to do it right. I have to parent right. I have to do the doing instead yes. of be the space of allowing it all to unfold, Yes. which is so hard. It's like you were talking about the beginning, the difference between allowing and resisting. We want to resist the way things are instead of just allowing them to unfold in the beautiful, natural gifts that they are. Yes. No, absolutely. I so agree. And, and, you know, I've been lucky enough to help raise a blended family with 11 children, and it really has been the most wonderful university of life. Um, and the, um, the similarities between what works and what doesn't work in a blended family, the things that you learn are exactly the same that apply to us as in cultures and religions and countries. Mm -hmm. And um, there are so many lessons to be learned from um, a blended family journey that figures it out and that makes it work. So, yes. Well, no I wonderful. think so much of that is communicating from that space of love, communicating yes. from 
let's work it out in a collaborative way so that, you know, because as a blended family, I assume, right, after having been married to somebody else, right, like that the idea is that you, you start with a different history, but you're coming together and now you're creating something entirely new. Just yes. like we as countries have different histories, just like, which I really love what you're saying because the idea is there's no reason we all can't create a world of love, collaboration, or radical loving equality. Yes. It would be that that is the mission I'm on. I know that is a very similar mission as to where you are. And I think that that's where our experiences help inform how we create this world, again, from our thoughts and our ways of being and the way we speak. And, and that the whole blending family was about honoring the journeys that each family was on, but making neither of them better or worse or more right mm -hmm. or less right. And, and then simply figuring out new ways of doing things that serve that new unit. So new ways right. to how to, how to discipline or, 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 or how and where to eat dinner or what to cook or how to celebrate birthdays or what to do at Christmas. And so often um, people get stuck on those traditions and then say, well, no, this is how we always did it. So this is how we have to do it. And suddenly there's conflict. Whereas honoring all of those journeys that led to this point and then saying, well, let's figure out how our path looks now and, and, and how it should look. You know, um, I, I can't remember if I remember the quote right, but I read a quote that said tradition is um, um, being held to ransom by people who are now dead. Um, right. you know, just because people did things like that in the past doesn't mean it's how we have to do it now. We can honour it and we can choose whatever serves us, but, but you know, in terms of... Um, our, our society with all its different religious beliefs and then all the different political beliefs and all these people thinking that what they know is right and that feeling of I need to be right. Well, shit, there goes the conflict. So, <laughs> Well, and, and it's interesting because we had a very similar situation in our family. So I was raised Catholic and my parents celebrate Christmas. Yes. And um, I left the Catholic Church because it didn't fit me and yep, I became a too. pagan. And when I met my husband, he's Jewish. Yes. And so at some point, um, as we started talking and creating our family together, we had to work out how do we blend the culture and the things that we want to keep and inform how our family comes together. And so as a Jewish, so I converted, I had, I had a rabbi who taught me Judaism through the lens of magic and pagan Wiccan beliefs and right. through some of the transformational work that she and I had had in common. Yep. So it was beautiful for me to find my integrity in Judaism. And wow. there was a lot of sadness in saying, okay, well, as a Jewish family, we don't have Santa Claus in our house. Right. And so that was a really hard one, especially because my dad looks like Santa Claus. My <laughs> grandfather, I believe my grandfather was Santa Claus. It's still a very, you know, inset belief on who I am. And so we had to really work how this, how do we get here inside of what we're going to, um, study. So we had some really great conversations with our rabbi and our rabbi was like, here's the thing. When you go to Egypt and you're traveling to another country, you take on those traditions. So you guys can visit Christmas. So we visit Christmas at my parents' house. Yes. And as good Jews, we perform what are called mitzvahs, which is a good deed. So yes. my children, because as good Jews, we're supposed to honor our family and our parents. 
So we honor my parents by going to their place to celebrate Christmas. And my kids are performing good mitzvahs by helping their kid, helping their grandparents celebrate their favorite holiday. And yes. because of that, Santa Claus loves kids who do good deeds. So Santa Claus visits them too. How cool. Uh, so that's it. how we got it. Christmas doesn't live in our house. Hanukkah lives in our house. Yes. Passover lives in our house. But we get to go visit and celebrate some of those other traditional holidays that are from my past that, that we go visit my best friend when they celebrate Easter. We go to the park and we visit their tradition and the kids know that it's not ours. Oh, and so cool. it's just how we do that. It all got worked out in a conversation and we keep the traditions. So we, we didn't do anything for the high holidays this year for Passover, Yom Kippur and all of that stuff. I'm not really sure my kids can do temple on Zoom. They can barely yep. do temple as it is. Yep. But we did take something that was so important. And my daughter really wants to cook. And so we cooked my husband's grandmother and aunt's cabbage, cooked cabbage recipe that they traditionally cook at the high holidays. So that's what we did to bring it into the family so that she's now cooking her great grandma's recipe. Nice. Because she wants to cook and because it fits into an expression of who we are as a family. I love it. Uh, look, Meredith, I could keep this conversation going for the rest of the day without any problems, but we're, we're coming to the end of our, um, our lot of time. So can I just finally, in wrapping up, ask you if you've got um, one little message, one little gift for the people who are listening and watching just as your, your parting seed thought for them? One little gift. Um... One little thought. I would say, trust your heart. Yeah. Trust your inner knowing. And when it speaks to you and whispers at you, let it out. Yeah. Let it out loud and proud and just let yourself shine. Because yeah. your heart is the one that is the center of who you are. Love it. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining us in this space and sharing this space with me. And for all our listeners and viewers, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Um, if you're watching the video of this, I will put the website link on there. And for those who are listening on the podcast, it's um, a phdinme.com. So if you'd like to connect with the book and um, have a read or have a listen to the audio book and then um, see if you want to connect with this community a little bit more, we'd love to help you take start your own PhD in me journey. So until next time, bye for now and um, enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. Thanks again for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Meredith. Bye-bye.